So this last section um, is the castigation of Babylon. So we saw the um, imprecation against her already. And now we get another voice coming from heaven. Now notice this is not another angel. This is an, another voice. This is probably the voice of God, just as we saw back in chapter six when it spoke among or from the midst of the four living creatures. This voice of um, God, which spoke out of heaven, judgment against the world. Now here it comes and it speaks out judgment against Babylon specifically. Uh, but first it's going to call uh, God's people out from the midst of Babylon. So Revelation 18, verse 4, I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Now, we can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 19, and we see the first instance of God calling his people out of a corrupt city. Um, we see Lot, who has been living in Babylon, uh, or not Babylon, in Sodom and Gomorrah, and he is being corrupted. Uh, he is being um, corrupted by the city around him. Uh, nevertheless, we see from, uh, I think it's Hebrews 11, that Lot was a righteous man, and he was righteous not because of his actions, but because of his faith. He did believe in the God of Abraham, and so he was saved. Nevertheless, he was being corrupted in his person and his um, his activity by the city that he was living in, city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so it says, Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-law, sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters and said, up, get out of this place for the Lord will destroy the city. But he appeared to his son-in-law to be jesting or joking. Uh, when morning dawned, the angels urged Lot saying, up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. So the men seized his hand and the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters for the compassion of the Lord was upon him. And they brought him out and put him outside the city. When they had brought them outside, one said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you and do not stay anywhere in this valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. And this came after Abraham's question to these angels, uh, specifically to God, asking if God will destroy the righteous together with the wicked. God has judged Lot to be righteous because he has put his faith in the promises of God. And so he saves him out of the city, which has incurred destruction. And in Isaiah 52, once again, looking at the dispersion of Israel into Babylon, uh, we see that God also had promised that he would bring Israel out of Babylon, and he did so. And so in Isaiah 52, it says, Awake, awake, clothe yourselves in your strength, O Zion. Clothe yourself in, the, in your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For the uncircumcised and the unclean will no longer come into you. Shake yourself from the dust, rise up, O captive Jerusalem. Loose yourself from the chains around your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing, and you will be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down to the 
um, at the first into Egypt to reside there. Then the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. So remember in Isaiah's day, there had been two uh, major world powers that had already oppressed them and they were uh, involved at this time with the third. There would be seven more and the seventh would turn into an eighth. Um, so from this verse we see uh, stuck in time, those kingdoms of the earth that had oppressed Israel and uh, Babylon then becoming the third. And so he says, depart, depart, go out from there, touch nothing unclean, go out from the midst of her, purify yourselves, you who carry the vessels of the Lord, but you will not go out in haste, nor will you go as fugitives, for the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guide. In Jeremiah 51, we once again get a similar uh, we get a similar command to Israel, God's people, to get out of Babylon. But interestingly enough, Jeremiah was written quite a while before Israel was even taken into captivity in Babylon. So this was a prophecy of something that has already come to pass. Uh, but it looks forward as well to something that has not yet come to pass. So here in Jeremiah 51, 42, it says the sea has come up over Babylon she has been engulfed with its tumultuous waves. Her cities have become an object of horror, a parched land and a desert, a land in which no man lives and through which no son of man passes. I will punish Bel in Babylon. Uh, this is the only time Bel is mentioned here in scripture. It's possible that this is a reference to the um, apocryphal book, Bel and the Dragon, um, which was a dragon that lived in Babylon which Daniel uh, killed. So Daniel the dragon slayer. Uh, but here I will punish Bel, probably um, an application here to the power in Babylon and or uh, perhaps even the king. I will make what he has swallowed come out of his mouth and the nations will no longer stream to him. Even the wall of Babylon has fallen down, come forth from her midst my people, and each of you save yourselves from the fierce anger of the Lord. So even before they went into Babylon, they could see that God had punishment stored up for Babylon, and that he would bring them out of uh, Babylon. This was looking forward to the final exodus from Babylon in the uh, tribulation period, but uh, God has brought them out once before now, um, and he will do it again. Now, this is also very interesting. Her sins have piled up as high as heaven. Now, if you remember the instigation of the city of Babylon, what their purpose was when the city was founded was to build a tower to the heavens, and they succeeded. It says, it came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. <laughs> They used bricks for stone and they used tar for mortar. And they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into the heaven and let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. So here we are millennia later. In fact, not yet. Um, even today, they have made a name for themselves, the mother of all harlots, and they have built a tower that reaches into the heavens 
And that is not this brick tower that they were building, but it is their sins. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 20, we see a vision that Nebuchadnezzar gets. Um, and Daniel is called on to interpret it for him. He did a, a swell job interpreting the last um, dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And Nebuchadnezzar liked the interpretation of the dream. Um, he doesn't like this interpreted dream as much, though, because this one prophesies that he'll be um, cast out for seven years to live like a wild animal. But the dream itself is interesting because we see the influence that uh, Babylon will have over the whole world. In his dream uh, that Daniel interprets, he says, the tree that you saw, which became large and grew strong, whose height reached to the sky and was visible to all uh, the earth and whose foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which was food for all under which the beasts of the field dwelt and in whose branches the birds of the sky lodged. It is you, O king, for you have become great and grown strong and your majesty has become great and reached to the sky and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And that the king saw an angelic watcher, a holy one descending from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, yet leave the stump and its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field, and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him share with the beasts of the field until seven periods of time passed over him. And then Daniel, after this, tells Nebuchadnezzar how he wishes that this weren't a dream about the king, Nebuchadnezzar, but it was Nebuchadnezzar's pride, it was his self-aggrandization that brought about this judgment that had his tree chopped down. Uh, and it's going to be the same for Babylon, we will see in a few verses here. And so here in Jeremiah 51, once again, going back to the, this, uh, what is essentially the same lament, um, Jeremiah 50 and 51 um, is the same lament as Revelation 18, uh, but uh, Revelation 18 is like the summary version of Jeremiah 50 and 51. So here in Jeremiah 51, it says, flee from the midst of Babylon and each of you save his life. Do not be destroyed in her punishment for this is the Lord's time of vengeance. He is going to render recompense to her. Babylon has been a golden cup in the hand of the Lord intoxicating all the earth. The nations have drunk of her wine, therefore the nations are going mad. Suddenly Babylon has fallen and been broken. Wail over her, bring balm for, your, for her pain. Perhaps she will be healed. We applied healing to Babylon, but she was not healed. Forsake her and let us each go to his own country, for her judgment has reached to heaven and towers up to the very skies. Uh, now, I just had another thought come to mind. Uh, Laodicea was told to buy um, linens and balm from God rather than to depend on her own luxury and riches in the city of Laodicea. So there is a similarity here with, um, or a, a parallel there as well. <clears throat> okay, I'll skip that too, because we're getting to that in a second. Uh, revelation or the the last clause here 
God has remembered her iniquity. So this judgment is coming on Babylon, first, because she deserves it, and second, because God remembers her iniquities. Now, it's easy to look at Babylon and say, oh, she's so terrible, uh, but we were, were pretty good. Um, but our sins also cause us to deserve the same kind of destruction. Nevertheless, in Jeremiah 31, 34, we are promised a different destiny, not because our deeds are better, uh, but because Jesus' deeds are better. So here it says, they will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Now, this is speaking specifically of Israel, but this will be extended to us and has been extended to us by the blood of Christ at the new covenant, uh, which we celebrate each time we take communion. And in Isaiah 53, we see that these sins didn't just go away, but they were put on him. Now, notice uh, I'm pulling from the same two Old Testament books that we've been seeing the destruction of Babylon from, Jeremiah and Isaiah. Uh, he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we were healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray, each of us to, uh, to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Now, what's not always understood is that this includes Babylon. The iniquity of us all to fall on him extends also to Babylon, but Babylon has not received uh, the reconciliation that he has paid for. Jesus has already paid for every sin that Babylon will be destroyed for, but Babylon is, uh, remains in rebellion rather than turning to the Lord. Those who turn to the Lord from Babylon um, will, receive, uh, will receive salvation and will not be destroyed together with Babylon. Same principle applies here in John 3.36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The wrath of God came on Jesus. That took the wrath away from us and anyone who believes in him, but it remains on all who do not believe. Now, there is a more specific reason as well why Babylon is being destroyed. And it goes back to Genesis 12. Um, in the third part of this promise to Abraham, after God tells him, get up, get out of Chaldea, which is the same region, it's a neighbor of Babylon, or of the Chaldees. Um, he is called out of that, um, that people group during that diaspora after the, um, the Babel event. And he is called out to be a special nation, uh, one that God can protect and cultivate while the rest of the world uh, is almost left to its own for a few millennia. God is going to preserve his seed to preserve the Messiah, uh, to preserve the oracles of God, the written word of God through the prophets. Uh, and he promises Abraham and to all of Abraham's descendants that he will bless all who bless him and he will curse those who curse him. Uh, and so Babylon being the perennial enemy of Jerusalem and the Jews is going to be, uh, or is going to come under the curse clause of this uh, covenant. Uh, 
And so in Revelation 6, we see pay her back even as she has paid. This is our Lex Talionis that we started looking at back in chapter 14. That's our law of retribution. Jeremiah 50 promises this retribution against Babylon. Summon many against Babylon, all those who bend the bow, encamp against her on every side, let there be no escape. Repay her according to her work, according to all that she has done, so do to her. For she has become arrogant against the Lord, against the Holy One of Israel. So think here of Nebuchadnezzar, and he became arrogant against the Lord, and the Lord cast him out for seven years, but he repented and came back. There is no more time for Babylon to repent here. This is the final judgment. And so her sins, when they're enumerated earlier in the chapter, we see that she was drunk on the blood of the saints. So she specifically um, had targeted the believers and, the, uh, and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. She had gone after uh, uh, probably the 144,000 who were missionaries during that period, which were all from Jewish tribes. When you see these multitudes, the, the uh, saints of God, the tribulation saints here in Revelation 7, 9, after these things, I looked and behold a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes. And palm branches were in their hands, and they cried out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Mm -hmm. This is a vision that John sees, and he asks for an interpretation, and he gets one. Or I guess he doesn't ask for it. It's given to him. Uh, one of the elders answers, saying to me, to John, These who are clothed in the white robes, who are they? And where have they come from? And I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. These are tribulation martyrs. They've come out of the tribulation through persecution and martyrdom. And this is under the fifth seal. Uh, when the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar of the souls, of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. They cried out with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood uh, on those who dwell on the earth? And um, God's response to them, he gave them each a white robe. They were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been killed, would be completed also. Now we wondered, uh, back in Revelation chapter 16, why was there a waiting? And it has to do with the same principle as why Israel had to wait 400 years in Egypt, because the sins of the Amorites had not yet been completed. God is waiting for the sins of Babylon here to pile up to heaven before he can uh, render judgment on them. The law of retribution goes all the way back to the Mosaic law, uh, where we get uh, that saying where we hear quite often these days, 
If there is any further injury, then you shall appoint as a penalty life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Um, now this is not saying this is the necessary and required penalty. If someone takes a life, a life must be taken. Actually, that's a bad example. That one was the required penalty. Uh, but an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, etc. These show a max penalty. Um, the penalties had been laid out from verses 1 through 22. And now it is saying, um, if a further penalty is deemed necessary, it can only go as far as an equal punishment for what was taken. There are certain uh, injuries which were able to be um, doubled, or even sometimes we see um, quintupled five times. Here, God is bringing double according to her deeds. And we see that uh, this, uh, this either has to do with the completeness of the judgment brought against her. This is one interpretation. This is not my preferred interpretation. I think it has to do with um, giving her back exactly what she gave and then giving her the judgment of God on top of it. She's drinking both her cup and God's cup of wrath. So it says in the cup which she mixed, mix twice as much for her. Uh, what she gave out to the others, she's getting the same back and then she's getting God's judgment on top of it. Revelation 16, 19 said that Babylon the Great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. And then in chapter 17, verses four and verses six, we see that the woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. When I saw her, I wondered greatly. So we come to find out that that golden cup full of abominations, those abominations and immoralities are the massacre of the saints of God that um, she is now being paid back for. So it says to the degree that she glorified herself, once again, think of Nebuchadnezzar, to the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously or luxuriously, again, I think is better, uh, to the same degree, give her torment and mourning. And this uh, torment and mourning um, notice that one is a physical judgment and one is a psychological judgment. Um, moving into the second half of verse 7, uh, we get another purpose statement. Why is she being repaid? Um, physical and psychological mourning uh, or psychological torment um, for glorifying herself and living sensuously and mixing a cup full of the martyrdoms of the saints because she said in her heart, so we see here um, lack of repentance, I sit as a queen and I am not a widow and I will never see mourning. Now we haven't seen any husband to this uh, woman, but we have seen her as a harlot prostituting herself out to all of the kings of the world. So she's saying here that she is not a widow. Well, she's not married at all. Um, but she is uh, acting in such a way with the kings of the earth. Um, and so she declares that she never will see mourning. 
So God says, for this reason, in one day her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For the Lord God who judges her is strong. Now we go back to Isaiah 47. And uh, well, we'll read it and then talk about it. Uh, Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For you shall no longer be called tender and delicate. Your nakedness will be uncovered. Your shame will be exposed. I will take vengeance and will not spare a man. Sit silently and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you will no longer be called the queen of the kingdoms. Yet you said, I will be queen forever. These things you did not consider, nor remember the outcome of them. Now then, hear this, you sensual one, who dwells securely, who says in your heart, I am, and there is no one beside me. I will not sit as a widow, nor no loss of children. But these two things will come on you suddenly in one day, loss of children and widowhood. They will come on you in full measure, in spite of your many sorceries, in spite of the great power of your spells. And so for this reason, because she has aggrandized herself, because she has said such as, um, I am and there is no one besides me. She's elevated herself above God, just like Nebuchadnezzar did in chapter four of Daniel. And he was brought down low, but he had an opportunity for repentance. Her opportunity for repentance is gone. Just like the woman Jezebel, we saw in uh, Revelation chapter two from the city of Thyatira. God said he gave her an opportunity to repent, and she did not repent. He's throwing her into a bed of sickness, and anyone who wants to join her uh, will also be thrown into the same bed of sickness. Babylon has had millennia to repent. Uh, The world has had millennia to repent, and it has not. This final judgment is going to be just, and it will not come without grace having come first. Judgment never comes without a long, prolonged period of grace before it. Um, And we are looking at the final judgment, um, but remember, thousands of years of grace have come before this. And so finally, her plagues will come on her, pestilence, mourning, and famine. Remember back to Revelation chapter 6 with the uh, third and fourth horsemen, uh, that it was pestilence and famine uh, that uh, this new political system Babylon had enacted over the whole earth coming out of Uh, the war that changed the political scene on earth uh, in the second seal. And so one who, uh, oops, let's see. Well, it says that she will no longer be the queen of the earth. She will no longer sit sit over the kingdoms of the earth. Um, She is going to be a widow and uh, she's going to lose her children. And remember, her children are the cities of the earth. Um, All those who are daughter harlots um, have come from this mother harlot. Um, All the abominations on the earth are included here in the destruction of Babylon. When she goes, her kingdom goes, and her kingdom is over the whole earth. So that is it. Um, Another reminder, we've got a wonderful class going on. We're halfway through. Life of Messiah. Um, We are 
right now looking at the very last year of Jesus' life. So um, you can watch on YouTube or you can join us at Tacoma Grace Bible Church on Tuesday nights. All right, and that is our story and my surprisingly blurry picture. <laughs> All right, well, let, let's pray or pray and then close and then we'll, we'll chat. Dear Father, we thank you so much that uh, you will not leave this world without judging wickedness. Uh, we thank you for this extended period of grace, uh, which we sit in today. We pray that we are busy about your business, um, sharing your word, including these prophecies with the world, so that they have a clear picture of the consequences of rejecting you. We know that uh, we who believe are no longer condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. So we thank you for that, um, that gift that you have given us, the blood of your son, so that we have an opportunity to escape these judgments. We praise you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.